You're listening to Augmented Humanity. Our guests are modern explorers working at the intersection of technology and the humanities. They help us to understand ourselves and the worlds we create in this digital age. They are thinkers, creators, makers, and academics working in diverse fields like history, the visual arts, communications, and comparative religion. I'm your host, Craig Goldsmith. I'm your host, Ellen Dornan. On this program, we're joined by Dr. Sean Graham. Dr. Graham is a professor at Carleton University where he teaches digital archaeology and digital humanities. Recent work includes studying the online trade in human remains, developing graph-theoretic representations of historic events, and publishing two books, Failing Gloriously and An Enchantment of Digital Archaeology. He is the founder and editor of the open access journal Apoesen, a journal of creative engagement in history and archaeology. Thank you so much for taking time to talk with us today. You've talked to us about how you make these sort of small worlds that might be one extreme or another extreme. And you also talk about taking the model and pushing the envelope and breaking it and seeing where those weak points or the gaps are. So how does that sort of breaking and failing play into the process of really getting at the truth of what these artifacts or these assemblages are telling us? There was a paper years ago about Roman economics, and the person who wrote it said, look, I know everything's wrong, so don't get your knickers in a twist. And he went off from there. And I always thought that's such a great strategy, because if you say at the outset that you know it's wrong, that you know it's broken, well, people can't really yell at you very much for that. It's also quite easy, because I'm a white guy on the internet to admit that something is broken or that I've deliberately broken it or that I'm trying to see what emerges from the wreckage and not be attacked for that. So I am mindful that just because of where I am and who I am and where I'm able to do it, that I can get in a bit further than somebody else. On the other hand, that also means that I kind of have an obligation to be doing that, right? To normalize that. And when digital stuff works perfectly, you have no idea how it works. It's just magic. But when it breaks, that's like snapping a piece of pottery in half to see the fabric inside, to see the inclusions, to see the different minerals, to see the changing colors that tell you how it was fired and what kind of conditions it went in. So I like it when everything works properly. But with agent-based modeling, it is possible to build models that are so complex that at the end of it, you don't know whether what you're looking at is something broken or something working. With emergent behaviors in particular. Exactly. So I'm a big proponent of really stupid models. There are archaeological projects out there that have these amazing, incredible models that are pulling in climate data and soil data and demographic data. And that's amazing. But how awful would it be for there to be something that emerges out of that and you don't know whether it's real or whether it's just an artifact of the programming? So I use a programming environment called NetLogo, which comes out of the Center for Connected Learning. And it's a descendant of a language that was rolled out to lots of school kids in the 80s called Logo, which was about how to make geometry on your computer. And it was supposed to teach you math and different things. So in NetLogo models, they still are called turtles, but there's just, you can have thousands of them at a time. And it emerges out of a project to try and teach complex phenomena to high school kids. Well, that's great because I can just about get my head around that. Essentially, I make toys. 
I make little toys that do one thing, possibly two things, so that when it breaks, I can be pretty sure how it is broken. It's either me, because I screwed up, there's simply bad programming, and I've got lots of that. But sometimes things break because I've misunderstood the underlying phenomena. And that's the kind of breaking that you really want to get at. And doing that with students is great because a lot of students come to class, and maybe it's because history students self-select this way. I teach in a history department. So with my university students, NetLogo is daunting because they come to computing fully enculturated in the idea that you only use your machine for the things the machine makes it easy for you to do. So the things that Google makes magical, that Apple makes magical, whatever. You know, I talk about files and folder paths and where things are stored on their machine, and that metaphor means nothing. So this is bad enchantment. These are magical devices that they can't interrogate, that they can't break, that they can't understand. So NetLogo is kind of the first step at getting them to see that there's more that they can be doing and that they have the right on their machine to get into the innards and figure it out. Part of it is, you know, a lesson about how to live in a world where a lot of what we're working with is digital. But part of it is trying to unpack history. And I was interested in the story. You talked about a model on the NetLogo platform, an ancestral Puebloan community that was abandoned and how playing with that model to sort of figure out what caused that abandonment. And you guys ported it into a game, right? Where you could go and interact with the agents and try different strategies for preventing abandonment. But somebody else who looked at it said, well, actually, I think maybe if we reframe these variables as this, that it's not really these. It's really a matter of what's the carrying capacity of the place where this community was. To me, that's sort of an important step to say, well, actually, maybe these should be our metrics, right? Maybe we've been measuring the wrong things all along. Because if you frame it this way, then that matches what we know actually happened. You know, that's one of the values of doing this kind of work is because somebody else can look at it and say, no, 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 these things might be more important or you've framed things the wrong way. When we tell more narrative ways of talking about this material, you know, in a traditional journal article or something, there's a lot of things that can be hidden. And not hidden out of malice, but just because we don't see that there's a layer there that needs to be unpacked. You know, it ties back to Sims, right? These are games that play themselves. But when you put yourself into it, then it becomes really interesting. Now we're into archaeogaming because there's the archaeologist who created the simulation. There's the machine that is making it real and acting as a referee. And then there's the player. And it's not like the player and the archaeologists are talking to one another here. It's a three-way conversation. So one of the authors is not human. And what emerges out of that three-way conversation can be really interesting. Can you give us a real-world digital example where you saw that sort of interaction and authorial collaboration emerge? Well, I think anytime you play a game, there's Let's Play videos, for instance. Which means what? So you're playing Railroad Simulator, and you record your gameplay, and you're narrating what's going on in that gameplay, and you're telling me the story of how the game unfolded and how it emerged. And somebody else could start from the same scenario and come up with a very different story, a very different experience. I did this with Minecraft. 
uh, vanilla ordinary Minecraft before it got totally Microsoft. And when it generates the world, you can give it seeds. And so there's certain numbers and I could share them with you and you could generate a world and you would see the same world that I would see. So online, there are lists of seeds that you can use that will generate interesting worlds. And I selected one that generates a village on the edge of the desert and grasslands where there is a temple that is half buried in the sand. Cool. I'm going to go in and explore this as an archaeologist. So I go into the game and I tried to play as an archaeologist. And the way the game works and the way that it wants you to behave and be in that world kept pushing me towards this kind of pith helmet colonial adventurer who goes into the village and is the font of all knowledge. And I go into this world and all of the little NPCs, the non-player characters, kept following me around and seemed to be interested in what I was doing. So I thought, I'm going to go and see what's interesting in your world. And I went in and they were all clustered inside a house. And being clumsy and stupid and not very good at the game, I couldn't open the door. I knocked it down. I smashed it by accident. And they all made their noise and I kind of went, oh, that's bad. And I went back to the temple and I resumed digging and recording and trying to think, what does this actually mean? And then I start hearing screams off in the distance because the monsters have come out and the NPCs no longer have uh, security. They don't have a door. So I wiped out this village through my own ham-fisted interaction, trying to observe it. So the game itself kind of pushed this colonial framing onto how you exist in the world onto me trying to play. So that's one example. And there are people like Andrew Reinhardt who wrote the book quite literally on Archeogaming. It's called Archeogaming. And he has done surveys within the No Man's Sky procedurally generated infinite universe, looking at how players in there create a culture through the material culture of this environment. There's a great project out of the University of Leiden called the Value Project or the Value Foundation, and they've been doing lots of work looking at not just how we play games and receive and learn about archaeology within games, but how archaeological methods and mindsets can tell us something about the culture that makes these games, right? The games themselves are archaeological objects. Andrew, by the way, was part of the team that excavated at Amogordo in the great Atari burial ground. Yeah, so there's also the physical material of archaeogaming. And unlike Al Capone's vault, they actually got what they were looking for. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. When we go into a game, we're in there and what we experience emerges from our interactions with things that have their own agency. And not all of that agency is stuff that was preordained by the game maker. In this segment, you've mentioned a few times the phrase archaeogaming. So could you just sort of define that for our listeners? Yeah, it's the archaeology in, of, and around, about, through video games. When we say gaming, in this context, simulation might also be a good word. Is that right or no? Yeah, simulation totally works. And I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be video gaming either. With Tom Bruffmans and Isa Romanowska, who are digital archaeologists at the University of Aarhus in Denmark, we were going to make a simulation agent-based model about Roman economics that was going to transform the field. And then when we actually sat down to do it, we all realized, you know what, I'm kind of sick of computers right now. And we thought, well, if simulations convey an argument about the economy, what if we just had four agents around a board game? And so we created a board game 
available in all good stores now. We created a board game where it is the Roman Empire as a kind of networked vision of towns connected to other towns, where you play as an agent of a senator trying to control access to trade goods and keep out your opponents. And so we're, again, playing at the game of being Roman, but as an analog simulation. And the idea here, too, is that when you play board games, you often have house rules, right? So you often say, you know what? Those rules are stupid. That makes no sense. So since our rules are derived from the ancient literature and the archaeological evidence, we fully hope and expect somebody will say, that is the stupidest thing I have ever heard, Sean, and will develop their own rules their own interpretations. And so they become agent modelers as well. They become simulationists as well, using the framework that we've set up for them. In the way that our board game breaks, it forces people to come up with something better. And Isa would compel me to add that in our playthroughs of the game, she won every single time. Forum, trade empires of Rome. <laughs> It'll change your life. Sean, can't thank you enough for taking time out of what I presume is a busy schedule to talk with us about your unbelievably fascinating work. Thank you. And if you would like more information about Sean and his work, you can visit electricarchaeology.ca. That's electric, A-R-C-H-A-E-O-L-O-G-Y.ca. Augmented Humanity is a program of the New Mexico Humanities Council produced in partnership with KUNM-FM. You can visit us online and find out more about our programs at nmhumanities.org. Our theme music comes courtesy James Whiten, and we've had production assistance from Tristan Klum. So you can find me just sitting in my